so Jeff and Liz had a check. Come on over. Come on up. <clears throat> you didn't bring Pepper. If you know their dog, that's a good thing. Um, lo lovely dog. Uh, so Jeff and Liz have been here for, uh, well, Jeff for five years, Liz for longer than that, probably, right? Five plus. Um, and uh, I, I wanted to just take a little bit extra time to honor them today and also to allow them to share a little bit uh, for our community because uh, you guys have been, um, <laughs> I mean, uh, you came here individually and then became a collective, so that's pretty cool, right? <laughs> Um, but also, like, I mean, you guys have just done a lot to be a part of and to bless our community. You guys have, uh, this is going to be a long list. Um, you've, you've done set up and tear down. In fact, Jeff did that this morning. Um, led small groups, mid-sized communities, neighborhood communities. Um, you've been, they've done announcements up here, hosting on stage, uh, probably digital gathering stuff. <laughs> Uh, behind the scenes, uh, but in the last in the last year or two in particular, Liz has been serving as a deacon, one of our part of our first kind of iteration of the deacon team, and has provided just amazing insight and leadership and stability to that team. And then Jeff has served on our teaching team for the last couple of years, um, went through a training process, uh, has been a part of the team that helps uh, think through, dream up what we do here on Sunday morning, and then has taught. Eight times? We'll, we'll go with that. Anyway, has, has taught our community like these lovely, beautiful, challenging teachings. And so you guys have contributed just a, a ton uh, to the life of our church. And I, I just wanted to ask you guys a couple of questions this morning. One, just the reflection of what the experience here has been like. And then I also want to, you to just preach one more time. Like give us a, give us a challenge or uh, just some word of encouragement. So uh, tell us a little bit about what, how, what, how this has been a formative experience for you here at Discovery. So as Steve mentioned, um, we arrived to Discovery at different points in our lives um, as individuals, and so we got to experience the community, this community on our own. Um, then we got married a couple years ago and got to experience this community as a couple. Um, and I think one of the ways that or one of the reasons Discovery feels like home to us is because there's been people who have invested deeply in our lives um, and have become like family. I'm not just saying that. There's literal people who walked me down the aisle when I got married to Jeff. Um, and so that just, for me personally, I've never been a part of a community where I both had people that felt like family and I felt safe enough to explore my faith. Um, and so this was for me personally, and I think for us collectively, just an amazing, it was an amazing opportunity to be a part of this community. Um, and of course, we're not like done yet, but um, I think collectively, something cool we've gotten to experience through some of the opportunities that Steve mentioned um, is just we got to step into a place where people weren't afraid to reimagine what church could look like. And if you're from like a church background, which we both are, um, we just had no idea, like, wow, there's so many different expressions of the love of God that are out there, and there's so many people with unique perspectives and experiences where we get to come together and build that next, like, the future of church together. Um, and so I think that that was really formative for both of us. Hmm. Cool. And then challenge us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I think, uh, you know, for one, so I'm graduating as well uh, yes. in a couple of weeks. And I sort of, when I moved here individually, I always had that end date in mind. And I knew that 
five or six years down the road that um, I probably would move on from Davis. And I, and I didn't necessarily anticipate that Davis would feel so much like home um, for me individually and then for both of us as a couple. And I think Davis is a place that we like, we, we feel known, uh, the most known, maybe anywhere else. And um, it'll be a new challenge to experience that together someplace in, in Madison, Wisconsin. But um, I think we were able to experience that because we stepped into some of those, um, early on we stepped into some of those uncomfortable spaces and got to know um, and, and commit to investing in relationships that were a part of this community. And so we were able to experience some of that fruit and some of that growth um, because we took some of those initial steps and um, sort of put ourselves out there and, and, and committed to being a part of those relationships. So uh, my encouragement is if you're here for a temporary amount that you can experience is, was bountiful for us and it made all the difference for us uh, in, in feeling comfortable and feeling at home. And, and we got to see, I think, new expressions of Jesus's love for us um, as people through, through the hearts of um, individuals in this community in, in particular. And then lastly, as, as a community as a whole, as Discovery as a whole, I think my encouragement is just to be a place where people can feel uh, they can come in authentically and be themselves and, and experience Jesus's love um, as who they are, right? And so um, we, we've seen Discovery grow a lot. We've seen individuals grow a lot in the past five years as um, it's basically been the entirety of, of your time here as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I think we're just excited to continue to, to follow from, from afar. Um, and maybe in the future, back back in Davis. Yes, but, uh, back, I don't know. Please. We'll see. <laughs> cool. Thank you, guys. Um, actually, well, two things. One is, if there are any current deacons here, I want to. I'm going to put you on the spot. Have you guys come up and join me on stage? Um, and then, yeah, why don't you tell people what what you're doing? You're going to Madison. Yeah. Why? Uh, yeah, I will. Uh, so I have my PhD. Almost have my PhD in um, ag and resource economics, and so I'll be. Um, an assistant professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Um, starting in the fall. So. Very cool. I, the last thing I want to say before we pray for them is, is, you know, Kayla just mentioned a moment ago the survey. And, and again, one of the things that has come up in that is like, hey, more, more tangible examples. And, and I think, I mean, this to me, Jeff and Liz are, are one of the most tangible examples of what we hope this church is and can be for people. And what, what we're trying to do is to help people walk through that journey of discovery, of exploration, of, oh, there's so much more to this than what I had thought or imagined before. And we talk a lot here about, uh, about guides, that in, in order to uh, navigate this new country territory, we need good guides. And you guys have been very good guides. Not only has it been, a, I know it's been a, a journey and an experience for you, but you've also led many people through that as well. And so... We are sending out two outstanding new country guides to Madison, Wisconsin. They're, they're lucky to have you. All right, if you guys can gather around, um, I'm going to pray again and uh, try not to cry, okay? <clears throat> Father, we are so grateful uh, for Jeff and for Liz for uh, you bringing them here uh, to be a part of this family. Um, and just for the uh, experiences, the conversations, the time, the, um, the meetings, the dreaming, all the different things that we've been able to share with them over the last five years, it's a beautiful gift that we will 
uh, all treasure. Uh, thank you for the ways that you have used them to uh, be an example of what it looks like for transformation to happen in, uh, in our lives individually and collectively for the ways in which they have walked with other people through that journey and that experience as well. God, we are um, celebrating with them the milestone of, of finishing school and getting a job and, and, and um, dreaming about the future, being able to use these gifts and talents and resources that you've given them to, again, continue participating in your work um, in a new place. So we ask, God, that as they go out, they would have some really great moments uh, with folks, that they would end well here, um, that they would be able to celebrate and even commemorate their time and what it has meant to be in Davis. And then, God, would you give them the freedom to go fully into the next thing? And again, would you use them to people that desperately need it? We don't know where that will be or what that will look like uh, exactly, but I know, God, that there are people that are already there, uh, that are coming there um, in the future. Uh, who will have this experience of knowing Jeff and Liz and through them getting to know more of who you are and who Jesus is. May that continue to be a good gift. Again, we're, we're uh, grateful and celebrating what you have done uh, and that we have the honor of sending them off into this next chapter. So thank you, God. We're grateful. And we pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Almost made it. Not quite. All right. <clears throat> if you have a Bible, uh, meet me in Mark chapter 7. We continue our conversation this morning in the, uh, the gospel, the good news of Jesus according uh, to this guy named Mark. We're looking at a very interesting story, uh, but a story that I think ties together a lot of things that we've been processing as a community, a lot of things that um, tie in even to this idea of Sending Sunday this morning. So Mark chapter 7, this is a short story, begins in verse 24, and we're going to go through verse 30. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. Let's pray. Father, we just ask now that uh, you would quiet our hearts, our minds, that you would free us from all the stuff that we bring in this morning so that we can be fully present here in tune with your voice. God, would you speak to us today? 
Would you challenge us through this story, this weird little story this morning? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, this is a story. It's actually one of my favorite Jesus stories. It doesn't get a lot of airtime. Like, if you were to do a top 10 of, like, people's favorite Jesus stories, this one probably is in no one's top 10, except maybe for me. I don't know what that tells you. But anyway, uh, it's a story that I think, it, I think it, it doesn't get a lot of airtime because it makes us uncomfortable. And, and it's a story that on the surface of things, Jesus does not come off looking really good. Like, what is going on here in this scene? Is Jesus prejudiced? Is he mean? Is Jesus racist? This is an actual scholarly debate that is happening around this particular text. And if that last question in particular makes you uncomfortable, good. Because that's where we need to be. We need to be feeling a little uncomfortable as we step into this story this morning. All right, so let's get right into it. Remember that on a, a macro level, most scholars are in agreement that Mark was the first gospel, the first account of the life of Jesus that was written. So we have four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Most people agree Mark was the first one that was written. And, and again, most scholars also in agreement that this book is actually the recollections of a guy named Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and not only was he one of them, he was like one of the inner core, the, the sort of inner circle of three that spent even more time with Jesus. And so Peter, his firsthand experiences, he's order to send them to some of the first churches. Maybe even the first church, the church in Jerusalem. So Mark's audience is actually people who had been in church for a, a little while, still very, very early, early stages uh, of the whole movement. But people who I think Mark and, and maybe Peter himself had a sense of, uh, like, we're, we're growing complacent. Like already, 20, 30 years into this thing, we're starting to get complacent. We've lost uh, our, our fire, our passion for the mission. And so Mark writes this story, this account of Jesus, with this sense of urgency. This repeated use of the word immediately. It shows up all the time, immediately, immediately. Quick cuts, right? Lots of drama, short scenes. And then within all of that, Mark's favorite technique is this big fancy word called juxtaposition. Okay, this is the idea of comparing and contrasting. Sort of holding two different things up and saying, like, look at them. See where there's overlap but where there's also some contrast. We're going to see that again this morning. These contrasts are, are designed with a particular purpose. There's a lot of different things that Mark will juxtapose throughout the telling of the story, but in particular, he's really messing with the ideas of who is in and who is out. What does it mean to be an insider? What does it mean to be an outsider? The, the insiders, the ones who should get it, who should understand who Jesus is and what he's all about and what his mission and purpose is, are the ones who tend to often not have any idea what's going on or be in direct opposition to him. And the outsiders, the ones who you would think wouldn't get it, shouldn't have a clue, those are the ones who tend to understand who Jesus is the quickest who seem to resonate the most deeply with, with his mission and his teachings. We've said this before, but Mark is, is not using this technique to, to scare the early church or to sort of uh, fear or shame them into action. He's simply wanting them to wake up. Right? Wake up. 
Don't fall back into complacency. Don't, as we would say around here, don't go back to the old country because that's what's comfortable and you know. Continue to press in to the new thing. God is doing something new. Do you have the eyes to see? Do you have the ears to hear? Wake up. Pay attention. Now at the beginning of chapter 7, Jesus has a long conversation, a long pointed conversation with the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the religious gatekeepers, the religious leaders of his time. And they get into a conversation about hand washing. Okay, nothing has changed in the last 2,000 years, right? But in Jewish culture, there was this whole thing about, hey, before you, before you eat a meal, you wash your hands. And this is not just like because of sanitary reasons, although that had a lot to do with it. There's this whole like ritual that you went through. And the Pharisees see that Jesus' disciples are not, they're not doing the thing. They're not doing it right. Right? You're, hey, you're, you're, not, you're not following our traditions. Why don't your disciples follow our traditions? And they get in a big argument about this. Jesus' big idea in this back and forth is, is I think, represented in verse 8. You have let go of the commands of God and you are holding on to human traditions. And then the mic drop moment happens in verse 13. You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. So not only are you ignoring it, like you're nullifying it, right? You're making it irrelevant, worthless by your traditions that you have handed down. So when we get to verse 24 and it says Jesus left that place, this is what he's leaving, this contentious argument, debates with the Pharisees. There's a map here. Um, I don't know how well you're spending a lot of time. And he is going now in this story all the way up to the top where it says Tyre, the letter A up there in the top left-hand corner. So he is going far, right? Like this is not just like, oh, these Pharisees, I'm going to go take a break. He like really takes off and goes somewhere else. This is the first time that Jesus has gone into this territory. He's been out uh, of sort of Jewish-centered areas before. But this is the first time that he's gone this far away, up to Tyre. Now, um, when he gets there, when he gets there, he doesn't want people to know that he's there. Right, which is a repeated theme throughout Mark. He's constantly trying to like, keep a low profile and failing miserably at this. But earlier in the story, back in, in, I think it was Mark chapter 3, we'd seen people from Tyre came down uh, and, and had seen Jesus do cool things. So he, the word gets out that he's there. And this, this woman that we're introduced to in the story immediately seeks him out for help with her daughter who is possessed by a demon. I want us to note two things, two immediate things about this, this woman. One is she responds immediately. In the NIV, it says, as soon as she heard. That, that little phrase, as soon as, is the same Greek word that's translated immediately 50, 60 different times in the book of Mark. So right out of the gate, she embodies the kind of action that Mark is trying to stoke in the early church. Here's about Jesus, immediately goes to see him. Second, when she gets to Jesus, she falls at his feet. 
And, and this is not just like a throwaway detail. This is really important. Falling at the feet of someone like Jesus, the feet of a rabbi, the feet of a leader. This is a sign of humility, of worship, of trust, even of discipleship. To be a disciple of a rabbi was to be at their feet. And so this is like the first time that she's ever been in physical proximity with Jesus. She immediately gets to him. She falls at his feet. Her posture communicates this deep understanding of who Jesus is. Before the conversation even begins. Then it it might feel a little weird to us, but Mark gets very specific about her ethnicity. This is because these details matter. Right? These details about us matter. They are not irrelevant. We learn that she's a Greek woman. That means culturally Greek. She was born in Syrian Phoenicia, making her ethnically a descendant of the Canaanites. If you are familiar with the Old Testament story, you know that the people of Canaan and the people of Israel were oftentimes in conflict with each other. So ethnically not Jewish, culturally Greek, and then on top of all of that, she's a woman. She is triply marginalized in this context. So all kinds of barriers here, which adds some flavor, some spice, right, to the story. All kinds of barriers here. The disciples at this moment, as good Jewish men, would be getting a little sweaty, What is she doing here? Why is she falling at his feet? What is Jesus going to do? How is he going to respond? And so then Jesus says this weird thing, right? She says, you know, help help me with my daughter. First, he says, let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. What? I mean, at best, that's pretty insensitive. And again, At worst, deeply problematic, if not racist. Now, I'll just say it. Jesus is not a racist. I think that's a a misunderstanding of this interaction. What's going on here? Now, remember, the, the audience for this, the immediate audience, is the disciples. Mark is sharing the story with the early church. If you know anything about the early church story... The big question, the big issue of the day was Jews and Gentiles. How do we get along with each other? Do we get along with each other? Do Gentiles need to become Jewish? Do Jews need to give up their Jewish heritage and become something else? Like how do we reconcile these two different groups of people? And so here you have that conflict that they were living through happening right in front of them as they're reading this story. This woman approaches Jesus. I believe Jesus here senses an opportunity. Her posture, again, communicates all sorts of truth about she gets who he is. And I think that what Jesus is doing, at least in part, is honoring her approach. He's honoring her approach with a test. Not a test of like, you know, I'm up here and you're down here and like we'll see if you can get up to my level. But he's treating her like a disciple. This is, he's expecting response, dialogue, interaction. Right? And she 
gives it back to him. Before we get to the, the response, though, what Jesus says here, I think, is a test for her, but it's also a test for the disciples. Because what he says is exactly what they would hope that he said, right? Like, basically what he's saying is this. I'm the Messiah for the Jews. I don't need to, like, you're not part of my thing. I don't need to respond to this. The disciples, when they hear Jesus say, you know, the children need to eat first and all this stuff, they would have been like, oh, yeah. Good. That's right. He's for us, not for you. Right, they would have felt, there would have been this sort of like exhale, like, oh, okay, good, this is, this is going to be fine sort of thing. Now, we'll come back to that in just a second. There's no getting around the fact that dogs was not a nice thing to say. And, and I mean, even to this day, like, that wouldn't be a nice thing to say, right? But sometimes, sometimes our prejudices just need to be named, right, and brought out into the light. Jesus wants to leave no question here. The dog gets it. She understands and recognizes who I am in ways that the Pharisees don't. In ways that at times the disciples themselves don't. So who's the dog? And in in making it this explicit, I think Jesus also lays it out for us too. Where do our cultural blinders? Where does our racism, where does our prejudice blind us from recognizing Jesus and his mission? I told you this is an uncomfortable story. (laughs) Now, the question of the day for the original audience of this story was inclusion of Gentiles. I think the question for us today, this might feel like a little bit of a turn, but this is an important part of the conversation, friends. The question for us today is LGBTQ plus inclusion. I think this is the question of the day. It's borne out anecdotally. It's borne out statistically. Churches are splitting over this question. Even baseball teams, I don't know if you guys pay attention to baseball, The Dodgers in hot water this last week about all this stuff. Target is getting boycotted. Right? This is not going away. This question is not going away. Now, this text does not speak directly to this issue, but there are a couple of things I want to say in connection to this this morning. First of all is this. Our our church at a leadership level is wrestling through this question together. And I think we're still a long ways away from, from resolution on that, but I would invite you and, and, I mean, plead with you as we work through this question together. We hope in conversation, but we're not too distant future to, to uh, open this up for more dialogue and conversation. But we're, we're in conversation about it right now. Now, as it pertains to the story, what I want us to, to uh, see, th- this, the risk that this Syrophoenician woman takes. It it reminds me of a conversation that I've had many times with my my friend Ryan. Uh, Ryan's a a great friend. We actually met um, 20 years ago, probably, if not today, like very close to this date, 20 years ago, we worked at a a camp together. 
And we, we worked that whole summer at that camp. At the end of the summer, Ryan came out to me. And uh, we've been on this journey, this friendship for the last 20 years together. He was the best man in my wedding. Um, as he's been working out what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and a gay man. After that summer of working at camp, he, uh, he got a job in housing uh, as a resident director and worked in several different schools in California for about 15 years in housing. And I remember, again, this happened several times. We, we had a few, uh, you know, we get into conversations about this. And, you know, we debate, you know, ideas and questions and theology and scripture and all this kind of stuff. But he would, we'd always end that conversation with this. We'd usually be in his office on campus. And he'd say, Steve, I can go out into the hallway of this, you know, student life affairs housing here on campus. I can go out into the hallway and I can say, hey, everybody, I'm Ryan and I'm a gay man. And immediately I will have a welcoming community around me. We were going to the same church at the time. He said, but if I go to church on Sunday and I say, hey, everybody, my name is Ryan and I am a gay man. Best case scenario, it'd be real awkward. Best case scenario, it'll be real awkward and some dynamics will change with people. Worst case scenario, I will lose my supportive community. Now, there's all kinds of things to talk about, to wrestle with interpretation and, and theology and doctrine. We, all, we will have all those conversations. But I want us to think about that experience that Ryan had for a moment. Because again, I think it's also very similar to the risk, the experience of the woman in this story. These deep questions of if people really know who I am, if people really see me for who I am, will I be welcomed? Will I be welcomed? How will that go for me if people really know how will I be treated? Now, welcoming Ryan, welcoming the Syrophoenician woman, welcome, welcoming any perceived outsider into a community does not have to equate with agreement. But to me, there's a huge gap. Ryan's story uh, communicates this huge gap. And if church is the last place that I can go, to be open about who I am and to be welcomed, that's a problem. That's a problem. Again, this doesn't mean that we have to agree on everything. In fact, if, if you want wild and interesting inclusion, choose the way of the king and the kingdom of right relationships. I think a big question for us is, are we following the inclusive ways of Jesus or the exclusive ways of the Pharisees. Now, back to the woman. She more than meets the moment of Jesus' test. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Again, a couple of interesting details about this response. First, she calls Jesus Lord. Recognizing his divinity, his power, her, her answer that like in addition also communicates right this big truth 
this big truth that's been embedded in the story of God since the beginning. God has always desired to bring all nations back into right relationship with him. Somehow, this Gentile woman understands the bigness of God's grace and mercy, the expansiveness of his kingdom and mission in ways that up until this point in the story of Mark, no other character has been able to grasp. It's pretty amazing. Jesus is impressed. In Matthew's version of this story, Jesus says, you have great faith. And in, in our text, but in the common English Bible, he says, good answer. Now, here's where I really want to go with this this morning. This story is a beautiful demonstration of what I would call the double edge of the gospel. There's good news in this story for the disciples, for the insiders, and there's good news in this story for the woman, for the outsider. And for those of us in the room this morning, there's good news for us. Maybe we resonate with one or the other. Maybe we resonate at times with both, right? Now you might hear sometimes people say things like, well, you know, what's great about, what's great about the gospel is that we're all equal, right? Everyone's equal at the foot of the cross. There's a kernel of truth there. The good news of Jesus is for everyone. It doesn't matter what your status is, your title, your background, your experience. But that perspective, I think, it, it sort of ruins the story. It, it obliterates the nuances that make this story so powerful. For the outsider, the Syrophoenician woman, all the human constructed barriers are removed. Jesus both affirms her in her Gentileness, but also expands the definition of the kingdom in this one simple interaction. This is Jesus blowing the doors off of who is in and who is out. Which is also why it's really good news for the disciples. The kingdom of God frees them from their prejudices, from their small thinking. Jesus is inviting them into something bigger and wilder and more mysterious and interesting than they had imagined. So my questions for us this morning. Do you have that question? How will I be treated? Will I be welcomed? Do you feel that there may be something that makes you an outsider? At least as the way that we draw the lines and construct things. The good news here is Jesus says to anyone who wants to come, who is humble, who is worshipful, who is accepting the abundance of his grace, come on in. It's a big table. The food is abundant. There's more than enough. Maybe you identify more with the disciples. <clears throat> Maybe you've been in church for a while. You sort of have that insider mentality. Maybe the invitation for you, the good news for you is to, is to get a little awkward. 
to step into some uncomfortable situations in order to see, to hear, to learn just how big the kingdom of God really is. The good news is nothing, nothing can keep us from Jesus. Not our prejudice, not our small-time thinking, not our arbitrary status as an outsider who doesn't belong. Nothing can separate us from Jesus. Like this woman, we recognize and celebrate this is a big table with more than enough for all of us. More than enough grace, peace, love, hope, forgiveness, redemption. So my invitation for you this morning, first and foremost, is if you have never received that grace, to say yes to the table. To say yes to this grace and love and acceptance that we have because of who Jesus is, what he has done for us in his death and resurrection. If you've never received that, may you receive that this morning. For all of us, may we revel in the abundance. May we revel in the abundance. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a couple songs. And uh, if you'd like to pray with anybody this morning, we'll have a couple people on either side of the theater as we're taking communion. You can come for prayer. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Jesus, we are, uh, we confess <laughs> that this is an uncomfortable story. We confess that sometimes we allow our, our theology, our ideas of who is in and who is out to get in the way of the mission. Which, as David said earlier, is to love you and to love people. That requires a lot of discernment. That requires a lot of creativity. But God, may you continue to stoke our imagination for what it means to be a church that follows the way of Jesus, that crosses barriers and boundaries, that welcomes people. No matter who they are, no matter where they're at, may that be true of us here at Discovery. And then, Father, I do pray for those of us who may be here this morning. Uh, we've been holding all of this at an arm's length, at a distance. Maybe we've never heard this good news before. May we know that who we are, what we have done, nothing can keep us from you. If we follow the example of this woman and fall at your feet, God, there is more than enough for us. And so we are grateful of this truth and we celebrate this today as we come around the table, as we sing these songs, as we pray together. Thank you for the work that you have done through your son Jesus to remove the barriers so that we can be with you and with each other. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.